David. And it's titled David, a man of passion and destiny. And in the introduction to the book, he writes this. David, the only one in all of Scripture to be called a man after God's own heart. This single individual is mentioned more than any other New Te- Old Testament character in the pages of the New Testament. Poet, musician, courageous warrior, and national statesman, David distinguished himself as one of God's greatest men. In battle, he modeled invincible confidence. Thank you. In decisions, he judged with wisdom and equity. In loneliness, he wrote with transparent vulnerability and quiet trust. And in friendship, he was loyal to the end. Whether a humble shepherd boy or an obscure musician before King Saul, David remained faithful and trustworthy. Even in his promotion to the highest position in the land, David modeled integrity and humility. What a man of God. That's high praise. Very high praise. According to one asserts that I did, Abraham is mentioned 312 times in Scripture. Moses is mentioned 852 times. Jesus is mentioned the most, 1,254 times. But a close second is David with 1,141 times. David is obviously a key figure in the story that God is telling us through his holy word. But have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that almost every time we think about David, Almost every time we talk about David, we do so with an and. We talk about David with an and, A-N-D. We talk about David and Saul, David and Bathsheba, David and the Philistines, David and Goliath, who we'll look at next week when the kids stay up here in the family-friendly service. David and, we almost always talk about David with that and after it. Now, this morning, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at three of the ands in the story of David. At some point, we'll do a more in-depth study of him himself, but over the next three weeks, three of the ands. Before we do, I want to ask God's guidance on our time in Scripture. Lord God, thank you for giving us your word, and I pray that you would speak through it this morning. I pray that we would... Uh, that we would sense your presence, that we would hear your voice, and that we would understand more of who you are because of our time in Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I have three dogs in my household. Everybody say, aww. I have three dogs. This past summer, Mike's about to say, those two on the left aren't dogs. <laughs> This past summer, my sons both bought a chug, which is a chihuahua pug mix. So the one on the left is Daisy. Wave. Sorry, forgot it wasn't a live feed. We got Dozer in the middle, and the big dog on the right is Charlie. He is my wife's dog. He looks thrilled to have a couple little buddies, doesn't he? What you see there is taking place within the very first hour of us bringing those chugs home. That is Dozer pulling on Charlie's tail. From the minute Dozer met Charlie, he knew he had found his best friend for life. I mean, he followed him around the backyard. He, I mean, Charlie's eating and Dozer's there. Charlie's using the bathroom and Dozer's there. Charlie is sleeping and Dozer's there. 
everywhere. Hey, buddy, hey, buddy, I'll be your best friend. I'll be your I'll follow you everywhere. I'll love you forever and ever. That's Dozer with Charlie. I can't say the uh, feelings are reciprocal. But Dozer sure thinks he has found an immediate friend. In the story of David and, one of the better known ands is a man named Jonathan. You've heard of him, right? You know him? Jonathan was the oldest son of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And as the oldest son, he would have been next in line for the throne. Jonathan, as a name, means gift of Jehovah. And it was very aptly meaning that, because in in very real, very practical, and very tangible ways, Jonathan was a gift of God, a gift of Jehovah to David. And we're going to look at some of what that means today. Probably the most well-known part of the relationship between David and Jonathan was their close friendship. Now, I'd wager that had I asked any of you who was, who was Jonathan in the story of the Bible, you probably would have said, no, he was David's best friend. And you would have been right. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, or if you have it, you can just kind of flip over to it. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, and after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, one of the king's sons. There was an immediate bond between them. For Jonathan loved David. Now that translation doesn't do justice to the Hebrew that, uh, that actually paints a great picture of the depth, the feelings that Jonathan had for David. A different translation says, as soon as David had finished talking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as he loved his very own soul. There was an immediate friendship one that would last the remainder of Jonathan's lifetime. And some may wonder why. Why the immediate friendship? Had Jonathan watched David kill the giant, and thus he was in awe of this young shepherd boy and his bravery in battle? Had Jonathan heard David shout out to Goliath, you come at me with all your weapons, but I come in the name of the Lord. See, Jonathan had that same unwavering trust and faith in the Lord. Before he went into battle once that we're going to talk about later, he told his armor bearer, come on, climb up right behind me, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So is that why there was an immediate bond? Because he was, they both brave in battle, and they both had an unwavering trust in God? Maybe, maybe Jonathan's dad, the king, had mentioned him, David, a time or two. Because David had already spent some time in the, in the castle. King Saul was anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel, and immediately, Scripture tells us, that God sent a tormenting spirit to to Saul that filled him with depression and fear. What's the cure for a tormenting spirit? You turn the radio on, right? You get music. That's what they did. And we know the story that David was the musician that ended up in the castle, playing the harp and singing to the king whenever the spirit tormented him. The music worked, and Saul was so taken by this young shepherd boy that he promoted him to other duties. Chapter 16, verse 21 of 1 Samuel. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. All this before Scripture shows us that, at least officially, David and Jonathan even met. So the king may have told his oldest son, man, there's this this soothe, like this soul-soothing 
like lyrical and harp genius that is from Bethlehem. I really like the kid. And if, if daddy likes him, why shouldn't Jonathan like him, right? These are all potential reasons they struck up this immediate friendship. Now, other people think that Jonathan sought David out to become friends with him because he knew that David would one day be king. And he wanted to, you know, kind of get that friendly alliance with him. Some people think that's the case because of what we see in chapter 18, verse 3 and 4. Those say, and Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Back in biblical times, to exchange a garment was to pass on leadership. You see that in Numbers chapter 20 when Aaron the high priest, before he died, passed on his robes to his sons. You saw it with Elijah before he was taken to heaven when he gave his robe to Elisha, a passing on of leadership. A lot of people think that that's what Jonathan was doing the first time he met him. In a sense, saying, huh, if I can't be king, maybe I should buddy up to the one who's going to be. Because also in that day and age, when somebody outside the family line came in and took over as king, he killed the king and all his offspring. So Jonathan may have been saying, I can be his buddy. And maybe then he won't kill me when he becomes king. Perhaps that's why. An immediate friendship. I don't know if I buy that. Okay? I think that this was just two guys that were exchanging articles of clothing. I have sons, so my stories often involve them. I think that if one of my sons met a new kid in the neighborhood and they spent the afternoon playing Nerf guns and they just loved each other, I think at the end of the day, one of them may give the, the new friend a prized Nerf gun and say, you take it, just make sure you come back and play. You know, I wonder if that's what Jonathan was doing. Hey, man, I really like you, David. Why don't you have my sword, my bow, and my belt, and my tunic, and my robe, and you come back and play sometime. We don't really know why they struck up an immediate friendship, but they did. And it was a close friendship, one that lasted till the end of Jonathan's life. Of course, David had the same feelings that Jonathan had toward David, towards Jonathan. We see that in chapter 20 that you heard me read earlier when David mentioned to Jonathan, your, your dad knows about our friendship. In fact, a couple of times in that chapter, we heard the idea of friendship. And after Jonathan died, listen to what David sang about him. First, or Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 25 and 26. David sings, Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep. Deeper than the love of a woman. David and Jonathan. Jonathan was a loyal friend. You guys ever made a friend like that? Where there was an immediate kinship? A couple of you have. I'm not going to make you promise, but please agree to not tell anybody that I'm going to use this next example. Okay? As I thought of the friendship between Jonathan and David, yeah, the young ladies in the house are going, I know where he's going with this. I thought of the friendship between Anne of Green Gables and Diana Barry. Now, my... Older sisters used to try and make me watch these movies when I was growing up. My wife has attempted to make me watch these movies as we've been married. For some reason, I always have something really urgent that I have to go and do. 
And if I don't, I'm just super tired and I fall asleep. Okay? But I've seen enough of the movies, I should just give in. <laughs> I bet they'd be good. I've seen enough of the movies to know that the first time Anne met Diana, they knew immediately that they would be, and I quote, bosom friends for life. Anne said to Diana, true friends are always together in spirit. That was Jonathan and David. That was their type of friendship. For the kids today, these two were BFFs. David's son, years and years and years later, Solomon would write a proverb. And I wonder if he was thinking about his dad and Jonathan's relationship. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Jonathan was a real friend. But we knew that, didn't we? So what else do we know about this and Jonathan? Well, perhaps we should have talked about this in the friendship, com- in the friendship conversation, but we, we know that Jonathan was also a gap stander. He was a gap stander. He stood in the gap several times between his dad, the king, and his friend, David. You see, early on, David, he had successful service to the king. And Saul pretty quickly became jealous of David. God was giving David these military victories. And, and as he'd come back into town, the women would sing songs about Saul killing his thousands. But David killing his tens of thousands. And Saul didn't like that. He became jealous. So in chapter 18, verse 9 to 11, we read this. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped twice. This was the first of many attempts of Saul trying to kill David. Listen to how chapter 19 begins. It says, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. So tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields and I'll, I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I can tell you everything I find out. That's Jonathan standing in the gap between David and the king. And apparently, he's a good gap stander. Listen to this, uh, verses 4 through 7. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten, Dad, about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about him then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened, and then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the court just as before. That didn't last long. Three verses later, Saul's hurling a spear at him again. This time, David's wife, who happens to be Saul's daughter and Jonathan's sister, saved him. And that's what leads us to the story you heard at the beginning of the, of the service, chapter 20. In there, we see 
Jonathan standing in the gap again. David came and said, what have I done? How have I offended your father? And, and Jonathan spoke more this time to David. It's not true. My father's not going to kill you. He would have told me that. He tells me everything. Of course, we went on to see Jonathan talk to his dad again and, and how that story ended. It ended with the two of them parting ways. I'm pretty confident that had Jonathan not stood in the gap, there may not have been a king, David, the second king of Israel. By starting my sermon this morning talking about Dozer and Charlie, I kind of tipped my hand a little bit about how I felt about Jonathan, how I thought about him before doing this study. You see, I originally thought Jonathan was just this excited little guy. He's like, hey, David, hey, David, let me follow you wherever. Yeah, 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 be my buddy. I didn't give him much credit. I didn't give him much strength, but I was wrong big time because it's evidenced by a guy with the fortitude to stand in between the king and his friend and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That takes a strength that I didn't give him credit for. Now, if you dig a little deeper, you learn that Jonathan was a military hero. He was a leader on the battlefield, and he was brave beyond any bravery that I can imagine. Listen to some of his exploits. This is chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. It says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. Saul selected 3,000 special troops, so the best of the best of the best, of the army of Israel, and he sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of them with him to Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and the other 1,000 he sent with Saul's son, Jonathan, to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Now, soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines, and Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, rise up, rise up, and revolt. Jonathan was the leader of one-third of Israel's greatest warriors. The leader. Now, there's another time, and this is a story I said I'd come back to, 1 Samuel 14, where he exhibited crazy bravery. Verse 1. One day, Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. So we jump down to the end of verse 3. It says, No one realized that Jonathan had left the camp. Now, to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sine. The cliff on the north in front was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. So we have heard those places before. It says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan told his armor-bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. There's that faith. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do whatever you think is best. The armor-bearer told him, I'm completely with you, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him. We'll cross over and let them see us. If they tell us, stay there or we'll kill you, we'll know not to go up and fight them. But if they say, come on up, let's fight, then we'll know that that's the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. And when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are calling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb up behind me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. 
It says they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer killed those behind, and they killed some 20 men in all. Their bodies scattered over about half an acre. This crazy, brave warrior Jonathan defeating 20-plus men with just him and his armor-bearer. Jonathan was a battle-tested warrior. David had sang of Jonathan's military uh, excellence in that same song that he sang about his friend's death. Excuse me, David sang about it. This is verse 22 of 2 Samuel. It says, The bow of Jonathan was powerful, and the sword of Saul did its mighty work. They shed the blood of their enemies, and they pierced the bodies of mighty heroes. Brave, military prowess, and success in battle. Now there was another time, one of many, that King Saul was pursuing David, trying to kill him. And this time, Jonathan exemplified another type of bravery. Chapter 23, verse 15 and 16. It says, One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. And Jonathan went to find David. Who does that? Who would go in front of the king and his two to 3,000 men to search out the guy that's being pursued to be killed? Somebody who has got a bravery that I don't understand. And when you see what happens when he gets there, you get to realize another trait of Jonathan. Not only was he a crazy, phenomenal warrior, but he was an encourager also. 2 Samuel 23, verse 16 and 17. Jonathan went to find David, and he encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the next king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. When the throes of battle are closing in on you. When life is just terribly difficult, there is nothing like having somebody come alongside you, put your arm, their arm around you, and encourage you, is there? It's interesting, I just finished writing the sermon, and I hopped on Facebook for a couple of minutes just to look around at some, uh, what some friends were posting, and, and I saw this, someone being an encourager. This person writes, making significant life change is very, very hard. It takes brave and determined people to do so. It doesn't mean you are not scared. It doesn't mean you'll be 100% successful. It means you're trying. And when you fail, you keep going. And when you're scared, you reach out to your support system. Uh, this person writes, several good friends of mine are in the middle of this right now, and I couldn't be more proud of what they're doing and who they are. I'm cheering you on and telling you to keep up the awesome work. Seriously, I get so much joy from people who dig deep and put their faith in what they can't see for the hope of something greater. Keep on fighting, warrior friends, this person writes. This person was being an encourager. And Jonathan did that for David. But it was more than just, hey, good job, buddy. You're doing awesome. In the encouragement, he was always pointing David back to God. You saw that in verse 16. It said, Jonathan encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. And any of the times that the two of them would renew their vow of friendship, Jonathan always pointed back to God. The Lord is our witness of this bond between us, Jonathan told David in chapter 20, verse 42. 
He says, may the Lord make us keep our promises to each other. Chapter 20, verse 23. Stay strong in your faith in God. I love that. So Jonathan was more than just a military stud. He was an encourager also. Now, Chuck Swindoll may have written quite the uh, wonderfully worded opening to the book on David. But listen to Jonathan's. He's an encourager. He's a mighty military leader. He's a gap stander. He's a friend. All this for a person we're looking at who's simply an and. David and Jonathan. Good story, right? So what do we do with it? Well, what's our takeaway? I want to say this morning our takeaway is twofold. The first is this. The story of an and, this first story that we're looking at, is more than just the story of Jonathan It's a foreshadowing. It's a pointing forward to Christ. In the second letter to the church in Thessalonica, the apostle Paul writes about Jesus. He says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he, Jesus, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. There are going to be times when it feels like everything in life that could go wrong is going wrong. There's going to be times where it feels like enemies are closing in around you. There's going to be times in life where you don't know what to do next. Much like Jonathan did to David, allow Jesus to be your encourager. He wants to be that encourager. Allow him to comfort your hearts, to guide your steps. Allow him to continually point you to the Father. Because that's what Jesus will do for you. Now, much like Jonathan, also, Jesus was a warrior. You may not think of him like that, because he didn't come with like a a sword and shield. But Jesus came, and he faced his enemies. He faced them head on towards the end of the Gospels. In fact, Luke chapter 9 and several other places, it, it talks about him resolutely setting out for Jerusalem. This means he knew what he was doing. He was single-mindedly focused, and he was going to stand before the people who had been planning on killing him for his entire ministry. He was going to battle of a different sorts, and he was going to face an enemy that none of us have any idea about. Jesus was a warrior, much like Jonathan. Now, much like Jonathan, Jesus was also a gap stander. You had to have made that connection that I was going there. Okay? He stands in the gap between a holy God and a sinful people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. For there is only one God and one mediator, one gap standard, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And you remember how Jonathan stood before his dad and pleaded for the safety of David? Jesus stands before his father and pleads for us. He intercedes for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus is able once and forever to save completely those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with us on their behalf. So Christ stands in the gap for us. Now finally, much like Jonathan was to David, Jesus is also our friend. We sang multiple songs this morning that had those lines are alluded to that friendship that we can have with Jesus. In John 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. I call you friends. 
I call you friends. We can be a friend of Jesus. So Jonathan, the and in our story, points us forward to Jesus. That's our first takeaway. Now our second is this. Believe it or not, there are still people in the world who live like and act like Jonathan. It's a novel concept, huh? Believe it or not, there's still people in the world who live like and act like Jonathan. And we have a few of those people in this room today, and one that I'm going to highlight. Dr. Dean. Hey, Dr. Dean, can you come up here? He, I don't think he has any idea what we're doing because he only checks his email once every six months. And normally, I don't put people on the spot. Okay, so forgive me right off the bat for putting you on the spot. I, you don't have to say a thing this morning, okay? But I'm going to talk to you a little bit, and then uh, something else might happen too. Pull up a seat. Dr. Dean, I bring you up here for a couple of reasons, okay? You got that turned up? You can hear me? I can hear you. Perfect. <laughs> He's wondering what's going on here. Dr. Dean, I want to tell you that in a, in a lot of ways, in very real and practical and tangible ways, you have reminded me of Jonathan. Okay? First off, uh, in the last decade of ministry, there have been many times where there's been challenging seasons, where things have been hard, and you have come along and encouraged me. You have come along and pointed me back to Jesus, and you've always done so with the utmost grace. So you are an encourager. Now, you're also a warrior, a, a battle-tested warrior. He may look like he's 90, which he is, but this guy is a fighter, okay? A few years back, he actually boxed. I, sorry if I'm telling your secrets, okay? I learned this once as I was driving to a funeral with him and asked him his life story, and he told me he boxed, and I said, really? Were you good? I only lost once, he said, to the eventual state champion. Don't mess with him. He also uh, played football before there was face masks, right? Yeah. No nose guards. Orville was a battle-tested warrior, and still to this day, he fights in a different way. He has regularly pushed me towards the, the things that he believes God has called us to. And so you're, you're an encourager. You're a warrior. There's been times where you've stood in the gap for me, too. Several times I, I can think of in particular where while serving on my pastor, pastor's cabinet, you have said, you know what, I, I'm going to take this. I'm going to go approach them. I'm going to deal with this. So you've been a, a gap stander for me. And I know that I'm not the only one in here who would look at you and tell you that you are a friend, that you are a dear friend. So I wanted to take this time and just say thank you. Thank you for being a Jonathan to me and to countless other people in here. I'm a... Give him a round of applause. I'm going to come back to you. You may not have known, um, last month, Orville officially turned in his letter of resignation for his role as pastor to the seniors. The same person who likes Mike likes you. <laughs> Orville has been serving in that year for 18, that, that role for 18 and a half years. We knew it was coming. So he turned it into the board. I don't know if I've told you the board's response yet. They, they approved your, your letter, but it wasn't unanimous. I did not approve your resignation. 
Everybody else did, so I got overruled. So you have, we've accepted your resignation. Okay? 18 and a half years serving in this role. And uh, I wanted to thank you. We as a leadership wanted to thank you. I know you don't, you don't do this for the praise. You do it because you're a Jonathan. Um, but over the course of 18 and a half years, there has been at least 18 Octobers where there's been Pastor Appreciation Months. And I want to take this as a time to appreciate you. So a couple of weeks back, um, we started sending out emails telling people, bring a story of how Dr. Dean has been meaningful to you. Uh, as uncomfortable as it's going to be, we're going to spend the time of open mic with people appreciating you, okay? And we can do that because you don't have a microphone, and I do. Um, and so we're going to do that. Um, yeah, because your time being a Jonathan means a lot, and we want you to be able to hear that, okay? You're welcome. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to walk around with a handheld, and uh, we're going to have people share what you mean to them. And you get to sit here and just say thank you, okay? After that, we've got a, it's a small gift basket. It's not wrapped, but um, we asked your, your daughter what you wanted, and you don't want anything. You've got everything you need, so we put together some things anyways that she thought you might like. And, uh, and we've got cake, because every good party needs a cake, okay? Um, we do need somebody to cut the cake after, just saying. Um, if Cody cuts some, the pieces are going to be really, really big. Okay, we've, we've got a volunteer. So I want to pray, um, and then we're going to spend a little time just appreciating Orville's years as the pastor to the seniors, okay? Lord God, I thank you so much for our time in Scripture. I thank you for the story of Jonathan and, and how he points us to Christ. I thank you also for, for Orville, for Dr. Dean, and the ways he has been a Jonathan to so many people. Lord, it is good for us to be able to celebrate. And we recognize that all glory and honor and praise goes to you. But out of Orville's service to you, we can thank you through appreciating him. So we do that this morning. Lord, help us to celebrate well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to pass a mic around. Um, and if you have something you'd like to share about a way that Orville has been a Jonathan to you, just let me know. I'm going to run this to you. You don't have to come up to the front, but you have to speak into the mic because I think we're still recording. I hope we're still recording, and that way people can listen later. Who's got something they want to say about Orville, about the good Dr. Dean? Thank you. It is on. Uh, Orville, we go back a long time. Uh, when I was a, a young Christian, there were some, some men that I held in very, very high regard. Uh, you were one of them. But I have to be honest with you, I, I, I thought you were kind of stuffy. <laughs> you know, the man always wore a suit. He, and, and he still does. Out of reverence for God, I have found out. But I, I, I never really spent a lot of time approaching him because I kind of thought I was beneath him a little bit. Not anything he had done, but that's the way I felt. That changed about eight or ten years ago when I had the privilege of driving down to uh, Idaho, to Boise, to a conference meeting. Uh, and I got to spend I don't know, 10, 11, 12 hours with you in a car, uh, which when, when I left, I kind of, kind of dreaded, really. I thought it could be a really long trip, but it wasn't. You and I had a wonderful time of talking. 
And you know, I found out Dr. Dean is just a good old boy. <laughs> there is absolutely no stuffy about him at all. Uh, and so not only do I now hold you in great respect, but I now do consider you a friend. Thank you, Dr. Dean. Here, what, another quick story. Look at that. He's to show how good a boy old boy he is. A few years ago, we were out at his place at a conversational dinner, and the conversation was is that at I guess it might have been 80 years old, he still mowed his lawn without a shirt. No, still does. Did you still? I, still I, does. I didn't know, but but I thought that was kind of interesting, and and I remember this. This shows how how normally is Josephine who was alive at this time, leaned over and goes, I kind of like him when he does that. <laughs> that, that also shows his warrior mentality because it's not a small lawn. quite a bit about him from different ones. And incidentally, it was all very good, Orville. And uh, when I met him, I was simply amazed. They said, oh, he's just a retired doctor. Uh, he's a little bit on the older side, but he helps the older people out. Well, I met Orville, and I've known him for a few years. Uh, I can say how old he is because I'm older than he is. <laughs> but here he is. Uh, he has passed his 90th birthday, and he is still, as he puts it, oh, I just help out the old folks a little bit. Can't think of anyone I'd rather have to depend on. Uh, that's right. Thank you, Alden. Yes, you do, because we're recording it. Oh. I even made some notes. Perfect. I was thinking this week of how many miles. I don't think anybody realizes how many miles. I was wondering how many he has put on his car doing visitation. Now, I'm going to name some names that some of you don't know, but us old-timers will know who they are. Uh, uh, um, Lucille Davis's sister-in-law, Verla Davis, hasn't been in our church for quite some time, lives out on Bigelow Gulch, almost to Forkner Road. He still goes out and sees her. He picks her up sometimes for our senior lunches. Now, that's Bigelow Gulch and Forkner Road, okay? June Anderson, that used to be here, is out at Cheney <laughs> in an assisted living. He goes and sees her. Harvey Sluter, who's 103 years old, I met them in 1959 in the basement of the old church, and they were teaching Sunday school, and he's 103. They've been married 70-some years, 71 or two years. He goes and sees them. Uh, uh, Betty Bell, Chihuila, Chihuila, Roscoe Bell used to be our conference superintendent. And Roscoe has passed on to his reward. He was a chaplain, and he was our conference superintendent. And he drives to Chewil and sees Betty Bell. 
I live at Lilac Plaza. He comes up and sees me. We have a wing ding. If, 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 if you don't know what that is, he goes to this chicken place and picks up wings, and I fix the salad. We have a wing ding. <laughs> now, cooks aren't here this morning. Uh, she wasn't feeling well, but he heard about this, so he came and brought a card, gave it to me, asked me if I'd give it to Orville. They'd only been here two or three times, and Orville had already been up to Lilac to see them. So, And he's been a good friend, him and his wife. Um, what a twosome they were. What an opening they were to people, new people. Uh, their table, many times, I'm sure. How uh, many here have sat at their table? for a food meal, a uh, humdinger of a meal. Thank you, Orville. God bless you, Orville. We're not going to consider you retired. <laughs> I think you are, but you're not. <laughs> so apparently I'm not the only one accepting the resignation. Others. Miss it? Oh, okay. Hey, big girl. Yeah, I appreciate what Mike said about you, the stuffiness. I remember the, I think it has to do with Josephine, frankly, because she was such a lively one. She made the piano dance, and, and I think you had to play the more serious role. I remember that time coming to visit in the uh, pre-op room in the hospital, wearing hospital scrubs and hiding from you, and I could peripherally see you glaring at me as I'm teasing Josephine about removing this or that, and Josephine just laughing. And we're, but I think since she's been gone, it set you free to be silly, too. So we, too, have traveled together not quite as many hours, but I appreciate that collegially. And as a pastor, I appreciate what Pastor James said because you were a gap standard for me when I was pastor here for many years before this era, and probably most importantly, well, secondarily, um, you came and visited me and gave me rides when I needed them as a sick person, if you will, always cared about my wife and children and family, and I think that was very special as a pastor, too, to appreciate that, and I look forward to still going to, I'll drive, we'll go to see Betty Bell together. Very good, thank you. Say more. Right, Dr. Dean? You, you sang and your wife played the piano. And that's a long time ago. And I, I appreciate everything you've ever done. Um, it's, uh, it's awesome, really, to think about it. You always were there. And uh, it's just to be continued. Right, Dr. Dean? To be, be continued. You'll be with us for a while yet. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Orville, uh, you know, you and I got to go visit a few times together. And I've seen the man stop and buy groceries. I've uh, gone to see other seniors 
I said, do you have a ride to the doctor? Oh, yeah, Orville's got it covered. And that's kind of how the seniors have been here. Orville's got it covered. And uh, <coughs> Orville and I were down at conference one time down in Deer Flat. And I still remember this to the day we stopped it, uh, in the uh, Tri-City area to stop and have, uh, we were at McDonald's to have a sandwich to come on back up. And we were in line there, and there was a mother and a grandmother and a little boy about three years old. And he looks up at Orville and I, and he says, what are you two doing in here? There's a playland. He thought we were going to go to the playland. And Orville says, oh, we just came for a sandwich. And then all of a sudden, that boy started talking to Orville. And, and the mother and the grandmother looked at each other and just shook their heads. How, that, but anyhow, he was safe because Orville and I weren't going to the playland. <laughs> Thank you. Say, Orville, we appreciated you when we had our accident. You came and visited Dorothy there at the nursing home quite often, and again after she came home, you continued visiting her and, and encouraging us. And I've also enjoyed working together in the Bible study that we had at, at uh, Betty Joe's and then here at the church, and it's been a real blessing. We got others? There we go. Dear friend Orville, if I'd known ahead of time that we were going to do this today, I would have really thought up something good for you. But uh, at listening and thinking about all the things you do and the time that you spend and the hours, uh, without, if you subtract that from your schedule, you're going to just say, what am I going to do with myself? But I understand you have some plans to do some personal writing, maybe, and some reading. And so if we aren't getting a report about how many hospitals you've been to, I hope that you'll keep us apprised of what you're doing with your days and your, your newfound time. We just love you dearly, and we can think of so many ways to thank you for your leadership in Bible study and your leadership in moments of advice that various ones have sought from you. You are just an irreplaceable blessing. Thank you for everything. Well, I know you don't have to have white hair to be visited by Orville. He's, in fact, he beat me to the hospital at least once or twice when I was going through the appendix thing. I showed up to check in, and there he is ready to, with him, and there, there's a group of them that were <laughs> there. So, um, others? I think there's probably some, oh, he's th you're thinking about it. All right. But again, it's another prescriptive person. And I can remember when I was a little kid as Orwell and, and his wife being there. And what I first remember was he was always, I want to say, checking in on my dad. I don't know, you were probably, if you want to say, haunting him before he became a Christian. Anyway, it was always a special plan. And then I moved here, and he moved here. And any time 
I've went through several things, and the Lord will always wants to know, how is this going? How is this going? And he's always somebody to give. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Orville, you've meant a lot to us as a body. Obviously, you're not going anywhere, right? You've told me that. You've told me that. So thank you. This is just a small token of our appreciation. We'll make sure we uh, help you carry your basket out. Well, thank you. Thank you, folks. Uh, these 18 and a half years have been a real blessing to me. I've gotten more out of it than I've given, I'm sure. And it's been, uh, you know, you know I've, I've made some mistakes in my life, but the Lord has always pulled me back. Even one of the mistakes was when I was an intern. I missed the diagnosis. And a man died because I missed the diagnosis. I still think of that. But the Lord has been good to me. And he's, he's led me through many trials, it's true. But he's, he's given me many benefits and many blessings through the years. And even, even these five and a half years since Josephine's been gone, I've been blessed by the fellowship that I've had with all of you folks. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for your good words today. They mean a lot to me. I'm going to pray for Orville. Then we're going to stand and sing the doxology together. Lord God, thank you for my friend for our friend, for the good Dr. Dean. I thank you for the years that he has pastored us, that he has cared for us, that he's helped shepherd us. And Lord, I pray that in these coming days and, and weeks and months and years that you give him, I pray that you would give him a rest. Uh, but I also pray that you would continue to overflow in him into others. God, we know that he won't just stop. And we pray that you would continue to guard and protect and keep his days as well. Thank you for the gift he is to us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings.